0: come before you we thank you for this wonderful day that you've given us the fellowship that we've had throughout the day and and just ask you to bless this time as we look at your word in your son's precious name amen Amen. Amen. psalm 106 starting at verse 34 they did not just well let's go ahead and read the whole psalm seems how we want to get us into context here praise you the lord oh give thanks unto the lord for he is good for his mercy endures forever Who can utter the mighty acts of the Lord? Who can show forth all his praises? Blessed are they that keep judgment, and he that does righteousness at all times. Remember me, O Lord, with the favor that you bear unto your people, O visit me with your salvation, that I may see the good of your chosen, that I may rejoice in in the gladness of your nation, that I may glory in, in your inheritance. We have sinned with our fathers, we have committed iniquity, we have done wickedly. Our fathers understood not the wonders of Egypt, they remembered not the multitude of your mercies. They provoked him at the sea, even at the Red Sea. Nevertheless he saved them for his name's sake, he that might make his mighty power to be known. He rebukes the Red Sea also, and it dried up, so that he led them through the depths as through the wilderness. And he saved them with, from the hand of him that hated them, and redeemed them from the hand of the enemy. And the waters covered their enemies, and there was not one of them left. Then they believed his words, and they sang his praises. They soon forgot his works, and they waited not for his counsel, but lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tempted the God in the desert. And he gave them the, their request, but sent leanness unto their soul. They envied Moses also in the camp, and Aaron the saint of the Lord. And the earth opened up and swallowed up Dothan and covered the company of Abaram. And a fire was kindled in their company, and the... <clears throat> And the flame burned the wicked they made a calf in Horeb and worshiped the molten image thus they changed the glory of the similitude into the similitude of an ox that eats grass they forgot God their savior which had done great things in Egypt wondrous works in the land of Ham and terrible things by the Red Sea therefore he said that he would destroy them had not moses his chosen stood before him in the breach and turned away his wrath lest he should destroy them yea they despised the pleasant land they believed not his word but murmured in their tents and hearkened not unto the voice of the lord Therefore he lifted up his hand against them to overthrow them in the wilderness, to overthrow their seed also among the nations, and to scatter them in the lands. They joined themselves also unto Baal-Beor, and ate the sacrifices of the dead. Thus they provoked him into anger with their inventions, and plague broke broke in upon them. Then stood up Phinehas, and executed judgment, and so the plague was stayed. And that was counted unto him for righteousness unto all generations forevermore. They angered him also in the waters of strife, so that it went ill with Moses for their sake, because they had provoked his spirit, so that he spoke unadvisedly with his lips. They did not destroy the nations concerning whom the Lord commanded them, but they mingled among the heathen and learned their works. And they served their idols and there were a snare unto them. Yea, they sacrificed their sons and their daughters unto devils, and they shed innocent blood, even the blood of their sons and their daughters, whom they sacrificed unto the idols of Canaan and the land was polluted with blood. Thus they were defiled with with their own works and went a-whoring with their own inventions. Therefore was the wrath of the Lord kindled against His people, insomuch that He abhorred His own inheritance, and He gave them into the hand of the heathen, and they that hated them ruled over them. Their enemies also oppressed them, and they were brought into subjection under their hand. Many times did He deliver them, but they provoked Him with their counsel, and were brought low for their iniquity. Nevertheless, he regarded their affliction when he heard their cry, and he remembered for them his covenant and repented according to the multitude of his mercies. He made them also to be pitied of all those that carried them captives. Save us, O Lord our God, and give us, and gather us from among the heathen to give thanks unto your holy name and to triumph in your praise. Blessed be the Lord God, Of Israel from everlasting to everlasting let all the people say amen praise you the Lord all right so we're going to continue this little history lesson that we've been covering for the last uh, three weeks (laughs) so we're starting at verse 4 we just got done uh, going through a lot of the history we talked about the miracle at the Red Sea the 10 plagues was mentioned basically uh, that God defeated defeated uh, Pharaoh, then, we talk, then he talked about them getting, the stu- getting their heart's desire and it not fulfilling their heart, he talked about the ground opening up and taking Dotham and Abiram, and we could also include Korah in here because that's the event that they're talking about, the Korite rebellion where the ground swallowed up the, the people, then later on they, they, they worshipped the calf in Horeb, and remember Horeb is another word for Sinai. Mount Sinai. So when you see the word Horeb, they're talking about Sinai. And they worship the golden calf there at the bottom of Sinai. And we see that they despised the word. They followed Baal, which was after Balaam, when Balaam told Balak to send in the women and entice the people to worship Baal. And they did that, and judgment fell out. Then we had the, the waters of strife, which was the second time that that water came from the rock and Moses was only supposed to speak to the rock but he got so angry that he struck the rock and really got pretty obnoxious about it. He goes, must I bring you forth water? And he struck the rock and the water and God graciously went ahead and gave him, gave them water anyway even though Moses did everything wrong on that particular event and because of that event Moses was not able to go into the promised land. So we're now jumping out of the, the time of Moses into into the promised land where we're, we're so wrecked. that's why Moses couldn't go into the promised land because he struck the rock. He struck the rock instead of speaking to the rock and was, his attitude. Who was he angry at? He was angry at the people or he, was angry at God? he was angry at the people. He never got angry at God. Oh, I wouldn't go, I don't know if that's true or not, but he definitely got angry with the people. Moses had a real temper problem. When you read the, when you read I mean, that even if he was angry with people but his anger was right it wasn't it was like, um, What do they call it? Um, they, righteous anger Well I don't know that his anger was righteous he was perturbed they did they were rebellious they were always doing things wrong so in one sense maybe he had the right to be wrong but what he did was defiled the the picture of Christ because Jesus is the rock and he provides the living water for us. And because he, he was told to strike the rock the first time because Jesus was smitten once and all for sin and water poured out. The second time he was only supposed to speak to it so that water would come out of it. Just as when we request blessings from, from, from God and then Jesus, we are given water without him being struck again. So he destroyed the picture of Christ in the scriptures. So and so... So yeah, it's a picture of Christ and the disobedience, the anger. Uh, In the scriptures, to be angry and sin not is something that can happen. But one of the things that I've taught people is if, if you're getting angry and you're angry about something that's happened to you, it's going to be very hard to be righteous anger because you're usually upset that your pride has been hurt. I look bad. You made me look bad. And now I'm mad at you. So it's very hard to be angry if it happened to you and stay righteous because you're usually upset that you have been hurt, you, you know, your, your pride. But Moses basically is upset with the people because they're not following his leadership. So I, don't, I believe his anger was not righteous in this particular case. And as I've said, I believe that his whole, the whole reason actually that he didn't go into the promised land is God knew that he would never repent for what he did because from that time on he's always blaming the people you are the reason that i'm not going into the promised land so he never took the blame on himself never confessed his sin never can never asked for forgiveness and so i believe that god knew that he wasn't going to do that and therefore said you're not going into the promised land i i believe so that's my personal opinion and it's worth what it is But his anger was because they were making God's house an unrighteous den of thieves. And it was his house. Well, it was his house, but it was also more, he says, even when he drove them out, he says, you've made my father's house of den of thieves. And that was a different anger altogether. Now, if we're angry about something being done to somebody and we rise up in anger for their defense, we we can have righteous anger that is that is not bad as long as we're careful okay but if we get our anger letting us go just and go nuts then we've crossed the line from a righteous anger to an unrighteous anger but like i said my personal opinion is if i'm angry about something done to me it'll it's very 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 hard you know to be a righteous anger i'm not going to say it's impossible but i've not seen anybody ever stay righteous not righteously angered when they're uh, having righteous anger when it's themselves they're trying to defend. Uh, and most people will cross the line even if they're trying to defend somebody else. But at least you can stay righteous in that, in that area. So uh, Moses had no right to be angry. <laughs> I think he had a right, but he shouldn't have struck the rock. He should have talked to it like a god. Well, he should have done what he was told. Yeah. Uh, even if you're angry, you, have... you still need to follow the rules when so you're to angry. Be angry and sin not, and it's very hard to be angry and sin not, yeah. because you're letting your emotions run at that point, and you're you're most likely going to cross the line. <clears throat> not, in, it's not impossible to stay righteous, but it is a lot harder. And did Moses have a right to be angry? I don't know. I mean, the people yes. the people were irritating him all the time, so, uh, but that's hard to say. <laughs> When we're being irritated, we're still not supposed to get angry with somebody. All right. Verse 44. They did not destroy the nations concerning whom the Lord commanded them, but they were mingled among the heathen and learned their ways. This is now starting to get us into the book of Joshua and Judges. When they entered into the promised land, they had a command that they were to destroy all the people. Men, women, children, all of them were to be destroyed and no one was to be left behind in the promised land. And the reason was, just as it says, that they were not to learn their way of worshiping. They were to go in and destroy everybody. They were to evangelize others. But in the promised land, their call was exterminate everybody. And this is a pretty harsh command. And he was told over and over, don't pity them. They're not... They're not to be left. And this sounds so harsh, but we've talked about this before. They had been, the, been in the promised land for 430 years and they knew what they were supposed to do, and they kept getting worse. All those nations in that land kept getting so v- really bad. In about? Uh, four or five generations at least. And they were nothing but getting worse. And God says, Now it's time, their punishment comes. There is an end to God's mercy for people. And when you reach that end, then you're in trouble. And, but God is long-suffering. We look in before the flood when Noah was around. 1,500 years God strove with man to the point where they were doing everything in their, according to their own imagination. And God says, I've had enough. And he saves one family out of all the millions or billions that were in existence before the flood. And he wipes out the entire population of the world, except for Noah. We get to Sodom and Gomorrah, and he says, I've had enough of the sin here, and I'm going to destroy the entire valley. And we we know the valley before it was destroyed was a beautiful valley. How do we know that? Because when Abraham and Lot... We're deciding it's time to split up and go, go our separate ways. He goes, if you go east, I'll go west. If you go south, I'll go, I'll go north. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw the valley, and behold, it was pleasant for all of his animals. So he decided to go to the valley where Sodom and Gomorrah was. And the only problem was where it looked good, sin abounded. Okay, and that's a problem we have often. We look around us and we say, oh, it looks really good over there. And oftentimes that's where sin is abounding. And God is saying, use spiritual discernment. Be careful of the choices that we make. Don't just go places because it looks good. So we don't want to learn the ways of the heathen. They did and we don't want to. And it's hard not to because especially in our day where evil is ruling in such a strong way, if We had to be careful not to have ourselves influenced because it's easy. All we got to do is turn on our TVs or watch movies or read many different books that are out there. And we're going to be bombarded with the world's way of thinking and learn the ways of the heathen. Learn the ways of those who are ungodly. Very easy to do. And verse 36 says, and they served their idols, which were a snare unto them. Yea, they sacrificed their sons and their daughters unto these devils and shed innocent blood, even the blood of their own sons and daughters, whom they sacrificed unto the idols of Canaan, and the land was polluted with blood. I don't understand this idea in many ways, but by the same token, we have millions of people each year that are sacrificing their sons and daughters to the God of lasciviousness, they go out, they, have a, they get pregnant with a child they don't want, and just kill it. We call it abortion. They're sacrificing these children to an idol of pleasure. We can go out, we can have as much fun as we want, quote-unquote fun, and if there is any consequences, we'll just kill the child. We'll sacrifice it into the child, to the God of pleasure. In this case, it was a little worse because the child had actually been born, and then they would... Put it in the arms of the idol, and they would roll the child into the into the fire. Okay, we do it. We do it a little less graphically, but we That's inject them with saline and burn these poor kid, poor babies, to, to death. Or they we're, put them in or stuff. we're still doing the same things. Nothing new under the sun. We do it. We do it pre-birth. They did it post-birth. Sometimes they sound like they did it worse. It probably is worse because you've actually seen the child. A lot less chance of being able to say, well, I didn't know it was a baby. And I don't believe that anybody in this day even believes that it's not a baby, even though they're being, trying to be brainwashed on it. But it is still they sacrifice to devils. In our case, we're sacrificing it to the idol of, of pleasure, the idol of lust, the idol of expediency. If I have this child, I can't, go, I can't live the life the way I want to. Or, I wanted to have my fun and now I've got to get rid of the consequences. And they just add a consequence called murder. So we end up seeing nothing different. we got to learn God's ways and not the world's ways. And this is what is being shed. And they says they shed innocent blood. All these millions of children being killed, even today, and it wasn't any less back then. In many countries during this period of time, if they didn't offer them to the gods, they just disposed of them because they didn't want them. In Rome, if they didn't want their children, they threw them in the river as a sacrifice to the gods just because they didn't want the child. Couldn't afford it, didn't want it. Too many, too many boys, you got rid of it. You only needed one or two sons just in case one died. You had a second one. Uh, too many sons caused problems when, your father, when the father died. So, you got rid of the extra boys. We do it before they're born, they did it after. We, we see this over and over again. And God's saying, You don't do that. Why? Because He says children are precious. God says in the Psalm, and the Proverbs, Blessed is the man who has a quiver full of children. Yeah. How's, how much is a quiver? Well, I don't know. Every time I've had a quiver, they, there's at least six to a dozen arrows in the, in the quiver. If you have a full quiver, you're you're you've got it very full. Quivers different that put the arrows in and hang it over your back. Oh, it holds the arrows. I'm sorry, but they they defiled the land with the blood of the innocent. Our world is getting to this same place where we kill off babies because we don't want them. We're getting to the place where we are saying that. If you're getting too old and gonna draw, you know, take and take away from your family's inheritance, go ahead and kill the old people because they're not of any value. You don't think you have any value, go ahead and commit suicide and we'll help you, we'll help you commit suicide because you're just of no value, so you might as well just be gone. We need to get people to understand life is valuable. Why is it valuable? Because God gives it. And we've got to understand that we are made in God's image. And when we start getting rid of the idea that we're made in God's image, life becomes cheap. Because if all we are is a bunch of unorganized, random life cells out there, then there is no value in it. And this is what, when we teach our kids that they are nothing but random, evolved animals, life is worthless. And why why care? Because if we're just evolved animals, then the strong survive and the weak die. And if you're too weak to, to survive, then you deserve to die. That was Hitler's mentality. The Aryan race was the number one race, so everybody else deserved to die. And he was an, he was an evolutionist. And he was acting out the long-term conclusion of evolutionist. Strong survive. And the weak deserve to die. And we've got to understand that if you're going to follow evolution, the weak deserve to die and if you're strong enough to make them die you do it you do so so that you make only the strong to continue and this is a satanic attack on man that man is created in the image of God God hates uh, Satan hates that man is created in the image of God and he wants to destroy all of mankind so he's doing it through evolution and every other possible way that he can think of to take as many people away from God as possible. And we've got to understand this as Christians. When we want to try to believe somehow that the first 11 chapters of Genesis are not that important, they are critical because they lay the foundation for everything that we believe. And if they're not true, the Bible is totally false because there's no reason for anything. If man did not, does not have a sin issue because of Adam and Eve, then Jesus did, did not need to come to be sacrificed to redeem us. And it's critical that we understand those chapters are correct and must be correct. Otherwise, we have nothing to stand on on the rest of the Bible. And besides which, if any part of the Bible is not true, then we really have nothing to believe in anyway. We're betting our eternity that the Bible is true. And we've got to keep that in mind. I'm betting that my eternal life is resting on the Bible being true. And if the Bible is not true, then I've got problems. <laughs> If I can pick and choose what I want to believe in the Bible, I've got problems. So it's got to be true, and we've got to understand that it's true. It's a serious issue. It's far, far better to believe and find out there ain't than not believe and find out there is. I mean, mm-hmm. that is that's a true statement. That's. <laughs> I've always told people that it's, it's, if I'm wrong, I'm just a fool, and I'm pretty much a fool anyway. But if you're wrong, the, the outcome is more serious. Right. I haven't gone quite that strongly because I tell people that if I'm wrong, I've, I've lost out nothing because I've lived in, in great peace and, yeah. and joy and, and everything. If you're wrong, you've got serious issues to face. But I know, and the thing I know is that I'm not wrong because of the peace and the joy and, and the love that I have that God gives me. I know that I'm not wrong, which gives me great peace to go forward, to know that, I, that the, if he's right in this part, he's right in the future. So it is really good that we have that. Okay, verse 39 says, Thus they were defiled with their own works and went a-whoring with their own inventions. Therefore was the wrath of the Lord kindled against his people insomuch that he abhorred his, his inheritance. They were defiled by their own works. They followed after uh, the idols. And then, and went a-whoring with their own inventions. And inventions are imaginations of the, of the mind okay, to their own imaginations. This is a sad statement to be thinking of. Bad enough, the idea of prostituting yourself, in your, but to your own imaginations. I mean, it's not even, not even doing things that are real, is what God's saying. You're, you're trading what's real for what you are imagining, and you're prostituting yourself to that. Turning away from God to doing what, You think is right. We've talked about this several times. The the new big fad out out there is for people to take what they think are the best parts and put them together and create their own religion. And this is a very sad thing because what they are really doing when they do that is saying, "I'm God. I can determine what I want to believe." Because this is they'll, they'll take all the different parts of different religions and put them together, and basically they're saying, "I'm God." I can choose what's right and wrong this is a real bad place to be and I've said this over and over again I have more respect for those who are going to say I'm a Hindu or a Buddhist or a Muslim and follow that religion than those who will say well I'm a Hindu, Buddhist, Confucius, uh, Zen for us as Christians Jesus lives in us, the Holy Spirit lives in us and God lives in us so we have a, almost a hyper conscience of right and wrong because we now have the righteousness of Christ in us that speaks I don't know right but as I said as Christians it's because we have the Holy Spirit in us intensifying any conscience that we have and taking us and then as we start learning the scriptures and everything now all of a sudden we learn oh We have a higher standard that we live at as a Christian. So, yes, we're taken to the next level. And the thing you're going to find out is the longer you walk with God, the more you get to know the Word of God, and the more you start being obedient to God, the higher the standard goes. And it keeps being raised. And you think back, you know, well, I used to be able to do this, but now God won't even let me get away with this. And and then five years from now, you go, I used to be able to do this, and God won't let me get away with this anymore. improper. It felt wrong to me yeah. to read those words. And I've read that book a hundred times. Right. And it'll keep getting that way. And that's why I say when I watch shows now that I watched in the 80s and 90s, I think to myself, how could I have ever yeah. watched these? Because God has moved my standard up to a higher level each year. And I don't expect everybody to have the same feelings I do because I know how long it took me to get there. And you may or may not ever get to the same place, but it's, but it's just like you say, it, it can be something you used to love doing, a movie you used to love to watch, or a, a book you used to watch, I uh, read all the time, and all of a sudden you're going, oh, yuck, how can I read this anymore? How can I watch this anymore? Well, that's what we talked about this yeah. morning in the message. Yeah. You, you know, are we approving things that are excellent? And the, the more we walk with God, the more the Holy Spirit gets hold of us, the more we will raise our standard of excellence, Christ, as he changes who we are internally and makes us more like him, we're going to start seeing things the way he sees them. But that is the learning to be more Christ-like. And you know what? It's only going to get stronger in you the more you follow God, which is good. We find, and this is, you'll look, start looking at your life and you'll start saying, wow, I used to be able to do that just as you were saying. I used to be able to think there was no problem with this. I used to think, we'll find as we go walk with God, more and more areas of our life will fall under that category. But it is okay to sometimes, like I did listen, the 50, I like the 60 music, just because it brought back memories. But then I think, you know, it was neat and I love watching how they were dressed and everything. But I felt guilty listening to but. I just did "Well I'm not going to say that there's anything necessarily wrong with rock and roll music, other than the words are not edifying in most cases, and, they're not, and they don't match up to God. Um, I mean, I used to listen to the, old, the oldies rock and roll all the time, and over years, it's just like, well, why am I feeding myself with these thoughts?" And then I switched to Christian music, which is technically rock and roll in the, in, anymore. Uh, the words were better, the words were better. Yeah. I to country music all the time. I used to love old country. But again, same thing. The words were such that such in them, but I'm not we're not going to destroy and say everything is wrong on it and that you can't enjoy the these things once in a while. If you're making a steady diet of that, you may have to consider what am I feeding my my soul with? And this is I would I would place it under the same place that I put in what I've said. If you're studying something about a false religion or a booklet from a from a from a religion, you need to spend an equal amount of time in God's Word to wash out mm-hmm. what you've just spent. So I would say if you're spending time listening to a lot of, of these other things with the words that are not godly, spend time in God's word or something godly to help. Clean your mind. we got the Way Station. I'm sorry, Billy. Sorry. we got the Way Radio Station. Well, that's all preaching, and I like it. So for me, it, it doesn't change my perception of what God is. And stuff like yeah. So I think if you get to that point, maybe it's time to. And you know, I can listen to it. I still don't change my perception of what God is, right? And I, I, I it even if I'm watching something. Like I will say, talk to me in 20 years and see where God has moved you in. <laughs> You're all saying the things that I used to listen to and what I spent 20 years. Listening to, no problem. Living. I used to listen to country music all the time. I used to listen to the, to the oldies, oldies channels all the time. I never got into the heavy, the heavy rock and roll or anything. Really but like I've listened to all that stuff and never had any problems with it. But the more that God has gotten hold of me, I am now at the place where I would just as soon listen to the two channels that I listen to, which are almost 24-7 preaching. And that is my preference now. Not that I'm against any other music or anything, or even, I don't even listen to the, to the K-Love and the S.O.S. and all these different Christian, Christian movie, uh, movie, music channels. I just, I have a preference these days to be taught. I'm not going to criticize anybody for doing anything else because I have been walking with God 44 years and it's taken him years to get me to the place where I just want to listen to preaching now and teaching. I will say it's between each individual if you say you are listening to the the country the oldies heavy metal uh, rap music whatever it is you want to <laughs> listen to and you can do it without being under conviction then it's not a problem but if God is convicting you to say stop doing it then you need to stop doing it it's that simple once he starts putting a conviction in your heart to stop doing whatever it is you're doing then you could no longer do it. Mm -hmm. And this is the individualized plan that God puts into our life. So it's not a bad thing to listen to the country. No, I'm not going to say it's a bad thing. I couldn't do it anymore. So again, it comes down to what is God telling you? And you will find as you go on, and I've said this over and over, next year, two years, five years down the road, God will be telling you something that you've always done and had no problem doing it is no longer allowed. And you've all said that He's done that to you in various areas of your life. And as you walk with Him and you become more like Him, there will be more things that you can't do in your life. And it's not that they're wrong, not that they were ever wrong. It's just that God has matured you to a point where you go, this is no longer healthy for my spirit. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't know that some of this stuff is ever good, but I'm not going to sit there and try to make people change who they are until God says it's time. Because it's important that he's the one behind it. Because otherwise, you're just following a bunch of rules trying to be righteous. And that is not doing you a bit of good. But when God says, don't do this anymore. And he puts that conviction in your heart like you're, like the book you were reading. Like, you're, like you with the music. At that point, then it becomes wrong for you. Because God's convicting you. And at that point, it's a sin for you. Once you are saved and Jesus is your Lord and Savior, and he's your master, it's no longer your decision. He will keep you under conviction until you change. But it, can start, it can start like with a small. St- always start small. He's, not, he's never going to take you to step 10 when you're st- on step 1. Yeah. It's going to be more incremental. More because when you get saved, the biggest thing to look at is, let's use something simple. Somebody's a drunk Never, never saw that as a real problem other than the fact that it caused them other problems, but they never considered it a sin. And they get hit rock bottom and they get saved and God cleans them up and, and takes them away from their, uh, their drunkenness. When they got saved, that was put under the blood. Matter of fact, all of our sins are placed under the blood. We need to understand when we get saved, we are a new creation. And this is why... We've got to understand and believe this. We are brand new. If we're not brand new, we've got problems because there's all this old luggage we're carrying around and baggage in in our life. We become saved. Everything is removed in our life. We are brand new. We're starting from square one, and it's all under the blood. And when we confess our sins, it's under the blood. Even if we have a resetting sin that we're struggling with, it's under the blood when we ask for forgiveness because God is no longer considering our sin because we are His. We are in the righteousness of Christ and this goes to our fact that we are justified when we get saved. God declares us perfect. He sees us as perfect from that point on. But He knows we're gonna sin. He knows we're gonna sin but He has declared us perfect. Why does He declare us perfect? Because He already is in existence when we are perfect. He declares us perfect. He sees us as what we are going to be. And this is what Paul means when he says he sees things as they will be be. because he's already there. When he says we're perfect, he already sees us in our glorified state. It's, It's hard for us to understand that because we live in a temporal time frame. We only go from past to future. You have to accept him. You have to accept everything about the gospel. That Jesus died for our sins and was raised, raised again. And that he rose again and that we will be raised again with him. But it all comes down to this fact. God declares us perfect because he already knows we will be perfect and that he will complete the work that he started. He started a work to perfect us and he knows. And we've, you've got to put this in perspective. God is an eternal being. All of the time of this world, by the time it ends, probably about seven thousand years. Okay, it's been close to six thousand years since creation, and he's going to reign for a thousand years. So, by all of the time of Earth, and all the time that has ever existed, is approximately seven thousand years. It's less than a blink of an eye to God. It's not even a twinkle of an eye to God. So when he says we're perfect, we're standing there next to him in our, in our glorified state. And if that's that fast. That, you know, we can't even snap that fast. You know He says we're perfect, and all of a sudden we're standing there in our perfect, perfect state as far as he's concerned. Yeah. If that's 7,000 years, and it just flashed, and that's it's not even 100 years, that just like... Oh, it doesn't, doesn't even, yeah. doesn't even yeah. register. Yeah. Okay. God declares us perfect. He doesn't even consider that you know, we consider it a long time. You know, let's say you got saved at four years old and you live to be 100. 96 years and God considers that 96 years of your being sanctified as, like as nothing. <laughs> okay. You know, and we're thinking, boy, it took me a long time to get here and God saying, what are you talking about? <laughs> you just got saved. I heard a preacher talk this week and he's the only person I've ever heard say that I've con- contemplated. When we get to heaven, because time is totally different in heaven compared to this world, will all appear in heaven at approximately the same time. You know, we always talk about somebody watching us from heaven. Heaven is timeless as far as we're concerned. It's got time in heaven, Revelation tells us that, but it's timeless as far as we're concerned. The entire 7,000 years of earth may just be a second or two in heaven's time. Yeah. Now, can you imagine you die and you turn around and go, "What are you doing here, son?" <laughs> yeah. Well, it's been it's been 100 years. It has. I just got here. We may all get to heaven approximately the same time, as from heaven's perspective, because it's a totally different way of timekeeping. But we we have to be able to understand God's timing is not how does not see time the way we see it. We see this long expanse of time, and God says, (laughs) "It's nothing. I've lived for I've lived for for eternity." This the, your your seven thousand years was nothing. I didn't even have time to think about your thousand years of it, You know, he's God. He can, but you know, I mean, you know, from our perspective, I didn't even have time to really think about it. It's done. I created and it's over. Just about that quick. And all of history has been in that time frame that that he just says was nothing. That's why Peter says a day to the Lord is like a thousand years and a thousand years is a day. Basically, he's saying, he's not saying literally that a day is equal to a thousand years to God, but he's saying, as far as God's concerned, it's the same thing. They're, they're just so short a period of time that he doesn't contemplate it. We we look at it as a huge, huge issue, but God's saying it's, it's nothing. All right, verse 40. Therefore was the wrath of the Lord kindled against his people insomuch that he abhorred his inheritance and he gave them into the hand of the heathen and they that hated them ruled over them and their enemies also oppressed them and they were brought into subjection under their hand many times did he deliver them but they provoked him with their counsels and were brought low for their iniquities this is the book of Job Uh, not Job excuse me (laughs) Judges they they kept going and sinning and God says, "Okay, you've been misbehaving. Here comes the enemy to put you under subjection." And then they would finally say, "God, we're sorry. Please help us." And God continued to send them a, a deliverer. Every time they called out, he delivered them. Every time all through the book of Judges, they they would do wrong, do what was right in their own eyes. Then God said, "Okay, you're not doing what I told you to do." Guilt, go into subjection for a while. And in, I love this in verse 30, 44. Nevertheless, he regarded their afflictions and he heard their cry. And then the reason why? And he remembered them for his covenant and repented according to the multitude of his mercies. Why did God hear when they disobeyed? The mercy. Because he had made a covenant with them. Not with them specifically, but with Abraham that he would make them a great nation, that he would not abandon them. Why does God not abandon us when we sin? Because we're his children. He made a covenant with us through Jesus Christ, that we are his children. He will not abandon us. No matter what we do, he will not abandon us. He may discipline us and chasten us like he did with the Israelites. If we really get bad, he might take us home early In disgrace but he will not abandon us because we're his children he may let us wallow around in the in the mud for a while and the sloth for a while and say okay are you ready to finally let me help you and, and grow you usually called backsliding for us and people can backslide for a long time and this is one of the things I keep telling people I cannot judge anybody with where they're at today and say they're saved or not saved Because I don't know what happened in their earlier period of time. I don't know what God did or did not do for them. All I can do is look at it and say, you don't appear to be saved. I'm going to treat you like a lost person as far as my prayers and testifying uh, to you. But if you're saved, you're saved. It's just the way it is. God will not abandon us. We are in Jesus' hand, and Jesus is in the Father's hand, and we cannot get out no matter how hard you try. And I've heard people, especially Calvinists, say, well, you can get out if you really, if you don't want to be there. No, you put yourself there. It's a one-time decision. You, you went through the narrow gate, and you're there. You're not ever going to be released by God at that point. You made a decision for him. Now, why you'd want to be released, I don't know. But you know, if you want to be released bad enough, you probably didn't know him in the, in the first place. And this is something that I've said. You, know, you can't lose your salvation, but the question is, were you ever saved? Did you ever fully put your trust in Jesus? Many people have not. And I've seen it over and over where somebody gets into their 60s, 70s, 80s, and then they've been in church all their life, you know, and then all of a sudden they realize, I have never known Jesus. And they get saved, miraculously saved, and and all of a sudden everything that they've ever been taught becomes real. Because, oh, wow, it's not, it's not just a bunch of facts. It's not just a bunch of information. It is life. Jesus is the word. He is the living word. In the Greek, it's the word rhema, living, spoken word. He is the spoken, living word. Not just the logos written on the paper, but he is logos also. But He is alive. And when we get saved you really start understanding this is a live book. It's not a dead book. Many people have said, well, I just don't understand the Bible. I'm going, well, you either don't know God or you're not approaching it with His, asking His Spirit for, for knowledge. I cannot read the Bible without finding all kinds of things that are uh, needed by me to live my life. And I can read the same things over and over again and still find all kinds of new stuff popping off the page. And I've all told you, I've got this running joke with God. When I read something, I'm going, God, when did you put that verse in there? I've never noticed it before. Because it pops out at you because it's what's needed at that time. And I know it's a joke because I know it's always been there. I just never noticed it. And when you've read it through as many times as I had to have that happen and a verse jump out of the page at you that you've never noticed before is amazing. And the same thing with our Bible reading schedule where... You read what's in the scripture. You read that scriptures, and it's what you need for that day. It's it's an amazing thing that God does because it's spiritual. It's spiritual on what He makes happen. Right, verse 46. He made them also to be pitied by all those that carried them captives. Now this is kind of an interesting statement because many of them didn't seem to be pitied. But you know, at the same time, if you know the history of the people that would conquer them, they were treated very nicely. Nebuchadnezzar takes them into captivity, and that's after this is written, but you think of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar brutalized the people that he conquered. He didn't, with Israel, he took them captive and took them into Babylon. All these different places, even as though they were hard on them and made life miserable, they still did not treat them the way they normally would have treated their captives. They were, God brought pity upon his people so that they didn't get totally destroyed, and God did, God did it, God made it totally different for them, and that doesn't mean that they haven't had people try to eliminate them, Satan has tried to get them eliminated, it's the Israelites eliminated over and over and over again, and anti-Semitism is on its rise again, and we're going to see a real big push against Israel in the near future, because Satan is still trying to get rid of Israel, why? Well, before Jesus was born, it was to be trying to stop the Messiah from being born because God said that he would be of the seed of David. So if he could destroy Israel completely, there wouldn't be a Messiah. Now, why does Satan want to destroy Israel? Because Israel is the timepiece for all of future events. God said that they're going to be the center of everything, that there's going to be a temple and Satan is going to try to destroy that temple. So if he can get rid of Israel, all the Jews, then he can defeat God again and keep that prophecy from becoming true. His goal is always to get rid of Israel because Israel is the timepiece of everything going on. And that is why Satan is so actively trying to get rid of them. And that's why we as Christians need to really pray for israel and jews in general because satan is out to destroy them so that he can try to get rid of the last prophecies that are coming because if there's no jerusalem and no no jews to be defended then jesus doesn't have anything to come back to and so satan's trying hard to destroy them god won't let him god will win, right? well god is going well god does win it says so it does it says so and Satan's goal is to try to defeat God by getting rid of, you know, show that God was wrong by trying to get rid of them. And God's not going to let it happen, but he's going to, Satan keeps trying. All right, let's see if we can finish this up. Verse 7. Save us, O Lord, our God, and gather us from among the heathen and give thanks unto your holy name and triumph in your praise. Save us, gather us together. And this is, this is not written after, uh, after the Babylonian in, uh, captivity yet, yeah, this is just keep us together. This is a prophecy. God, save us. Bring us back together. And, and give thanks unto your holy name and triumph in your praise. We always need to keep focused on God when we're praising him, when, we're, when we see good, when we see bad, or what we think is bad. And I like to phrase it that way. What we think is bad. About two years ago, I, I had a phrase that we put up there. God's will is what I would choose if I knew all things. Okay? If we knew everything, we would choose exactly what God wants for us because we would know why it's good. Too many times when we look at something, we go, well, this is a terrible thing to happen to us. We don't know what's coming down in the future what strength we need, what, what desire we need. All we look at is how bad this seems to me. I feel miserable. Well, maybe it's good that I feel miserable today so that I don't repeat it down the, down the road or do something worse down the road. We need to keep in mind God has a reason. And his reason is because he knows it all. He knows what's coming down the road. He knows everything that could possibly come down the road. I mean, when you think about what God knows, He doesn't just know what is going to happen. He knows what may happen if we make other decisions. He knows what those decisions would lead to. He already knows all the implications of all of these things. And that gets you into a whole different mindset that is hard to contemplate. But he says, save us, gather us. Verse 48, blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. Bless the God who lives forever. And let his people say, Amen. Amen. Praise, praise the ye the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. That is, is the, the last word of that is hallelujah in, in Hebrew. <laughs> hallelujah. Praise you <laughs> the Lord. When you, see, when you see this praise ye the Lord in your scriptures, it is the, the, Lord. The, the, the answer, the, what that word is, is hallelujah. Oh. When we sing songs and say hallelujah, we're singing praise you the Lord. When we, so if you really want to get excited, instead of saying praise you the Lord, say hallelujah, (laughs) because that's what it means. And you know, it's one of the few words that is common in all languages. Hallelujah and amen. Both Hebrew words are common across all the languages. And amen means let it be so. So when you're praying and you say amen, you're saying I agree with you, Lord, let it be so. Uh, so he ends this, pray, this psalm in a very strong way. Let it be so. Praise you, the Lord. Hallelujah. All right, well, we finally finished book four of Psalms. We will get ready to start book five next week, um, which is the topic of book five is the word of God. And from this point on, it is very strong. Almost all the verses, all the almost all the psalms in this section, will be about God's word. Especially when we get to Psalm 119, where we have uh, all of the verses uh, will be about God. We will be in that. We will be in that psalm probably for I'm figuring at least 13 weeks, if not more. Let's <laughs> let's go ahead and uh, close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to just see your word and to see what you would have for us, Lord, and that you are the one that cares for us and you have a plan for our life and that you know what you're doing. Help us to, to fall into what you want us to do and voluntarily be submitted to you and all that you have planned for us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.